JC Corcoran Podcast. I've told the story before. I'm out in Los Angeles doing television interviews back in 1998 for a little movie I didn't know anything about called Sling Blade. And the guy who did the movie, the guy who's in the movie, is wearing a Cardinal baseball hat. And I'm like, what's the deal with the hat? He tells me the story about growing up in Arkansas. I don't know Billy Bob Thornton. He's telling me stories about, you know, uh, idolizing Bob Gibson and throwing a ball through a tire like Bob Gibson said in some book or some record or something like that. I said, well, for heaven's sakes, you know, especially after you win the Oscar, you got to come down here to Bush Stadium and throw out the first pitch before a Cardinal game. And things got very busy for Billy Bob Thornton. And then eventually we were able to work it out. It took almost two years. And there's Billy Bob throwing ball on the sidelines prior to a big Cardinal game right in the middle of the home run chase. Mark McGuire, big nationally televised game on a Saturday afternoon. Billy Bob throws out the first pitch and then Billy Bob Thornton. Tell everybody what happened next because I'm sure your memory of this is very vivid. Well, I uh, first of all, I threw the ball out to Bob Gibson, uh, who was uh, I, I would been out in the clubhouse with uh, uh Tony Larusa and McGuire and, and and Gibson was there that day and, he, and uh, Tony said, "Hey, uh, listen, you know Bob, you're the guy's hero. You should catch it for him." Which you know that made my knees weak. <laughs> and uh, I threw him a slider. I figured, you know, I'd learned my pitches out of his book when I was a kid. I threw him a slider, and uh, it was a good one. And he came out and put the ball in my hand, and he. And he said, "Man, that's a that's a damn good slider. Where'd you get that?" <laughs> and I said, I, "I said out of your book." <laughs> and uh, so then he really warmed up to me, and we talked a lot. And uh, he told me some stories about he and Hank Aaron, and you know, it was just the greatest time because I'm a diehard Cardinal fan since I was a little kid, and uh, it, it really meant a lot to me. And by the way, just moments after you throw out the first pitch, big nationally televised game, Mark McGuire in the thick of the home run chase, and and they toss him out of the game in the first inning, rookie umpire, they get into yeah. a shouting match there, and McGuire's ta- thrown out of the game. Billy Bob, I thought we were going to have a riot at Bush Stadium that afternoon. i gotta, I got to tell you, I mean, having been a Cardinal fan forever, the fans, of, the St. Louis fans are the greatest in the world, because they don't boo their players. And they're pretty good to the opposing teams. Uh, but that day, I, I, I'm with you. I thought there was going to be a riot over that over that ump because, and I'm telling you, McGuire was right too because the ball nearly hit him in the ankle. The guy called it a strike, and it was his first at bat. And I had talked to uh, Mark before the game, and we were going to hook up after the game and hang out a little bit. But I didn't even I didn't even call his after that because I thought you know what he's not going to want to hang out tonight. Yeah. Wrong, wrong first inning. Timing is everything, right? Uh, so they were playing the Braves that day. Yeah, yeah, amazing. And I think you surprised a lot of people by being the narrator in the official Major League Baseball Cardinals World Series DVD, which came out last fall. But a lot of Cardinal fans who didn't know that story that you just told were sort of scratching their heads, going, "Billy Bob Thornton of all people doing the narration on this? How did it come about?" You know, I'm sort of getting known lately, especially since the series. You know, I was down there for the series that, uh, you know, I'm getting more like uh, Jack Nicholson is for the Lakers, you know, for the Cardinals. <laughs> and uh, But I'm friends with, you know, Tony and a lot of the guys. You know, I've known Edmonds and and uh, Eckstein and some of those guys. And I actually knew Jimmy when he played for the Angels. And... Uh, so, you know, I, I pop up at the Cardinal games. As a matter of fact, the only time I go to a Dodger game is when they're playing the Cardinals. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, 
But anyhow, uh, they asked me uh, to uh, narrate the DVD. It was quite an honor. Yeah, it was uh, good. You did a great job, too, because it was, like, sort of decidedly understated. Which You know, you don't have to be jumping up and down and yelling and screaming and cheerleading because the action that people are seeing on the screen is speaking for itself. Absolutely. Yeah, we wanted to just sort of tell the story of what happened, you know. Uh, it was actually a really moving uh, DVD. I really, really liked it. No, I'm just getting warmed up. Happy to see you again. Don't be nervous. Don't be rocky. You're our teenage guest is jockey now. And let me begin by wishing you a beautiful look. Did that voice inside you say, I've heard it all before. It is Tuesday, July 18th, 2023. You are at com for the J.C. Corcoran Podcast. We thank everybody for listening to the morning show on KWOLF at 101.5 in the city and 101.7 west and beyond. We also stream at kwulf.com. That would be KWOLF. Dot com. JC here. That Billy Bob thing is all true, by the way. Billy Bob Thornton, he, good guy. Odd duck, strange guy. Has a, a phobia of antique furniture. Was married to Angelina Jolie for about an hour and a half. They used to cut each other. Yes, like with knives. And then, I don't know, a thing uh, boys used to do this. You, you would put a little cut in your wrist and then uh, rub the blood from your best friend's wrist onto yours, and you'd call each other blood brothers. Except they're adults, and they're, some, they're cutting each other. I don't know. But he's a big baseball fan, and that's all we care about. And look at the Cardinals. All of a sudden, if they could play like that every night. Do you know where we'd be right now? Nolan Arenado, four RBIs. Cards win at 6-4 over the Nats, which my spell check here on the computer changed to the Cats. Jordan Montgomery, Jordan Montgomery getting the start tonight. Roland going into the Hall of Fame on Sunday. That is going to be covered by the Major League Baseball Network, MLB, and the coverage starts at noon. I don't know if that's noon Eastern or that's 11 o'clock St. Louis. Just be on your toes for that one. The women start playing soccer on Thursday. I'm trying to learn more about that, but I am having most of my brain matter when talking about soccer, trying not to sound like a fool because I don't know anything about soccer. And my buddies, Tom Schwartz and Ted Williams, who have been doing a soccer show every weekend on 590 The Fan for, I don't know, like 30 years or something. They helped me out, but I have a learning disability when it comes to soccer. Now, certain things have occurred to me because you can't ignore the fact that soccer is the biggest sport in the world. So there must be something going on there. So what is it that I'm not picking up? Because I watch soccer and I go, I must be missing something because this isn't very exciting. I watch football, always something going on. Baseball, always something going on. I'm not that crazy about basketball, but there's something always going on. Soccer there's nothing happening. They're just all running around. And then one day it hit me. Maybe I'm right. I keep searching for the thing that I'm missing about soccer, and maybe there isn't anything missing. Maybe this is it. Maybe I've been right all along. You know, and everything's got a different name. I've been around sports my entire life. I've just not been around soccer. And so I think I know what I'm talking about. But, you know, a soccer game is not a game. It's a match. It's not three to nothing. It's three nil. And now, had I not gotten lucky and heard a newscaster saying his name, I would have said Lionel Messi or Metsy. 
And of course, it's Lionel, of course, because it's got to be different. He's going to play his first game with Miami on Friday night. There's like a total frenzy going on in Florida where people are trying to get those pink soccer jerseys. George Carlin used to talk about the fact that the only reason people went to NASCAR events was because they wanted to see a multi-car pile up and a giant fire. Similarly, I don't know, this Tour de France thing, do those guys have to ride that close to one another like they're the fucking Blue Angels or something? So, you know, one guy gets into trouble or hits a rock on the course or something, and he goes down, and, you know, like 30 guys go down. And all of those bicycles, those bicycles, geez, they're so damned expensive. So some fan yesterday, Tour de France, is trying to get a selfie. Okay, they're coming around the corner now. Now when they come out, I'm going to lean in, and then you take, bam. Has anybody ever been beaten to death with bicycle parts? And uh, Joe Torre, 83 today, good man, good man, good player, good coach, good manager, not only with us, but with the Yankees, obviously, 83 today. It was on this date in 2014 that I packed up my stuff, which included two cats, a four-year-old, and a wife, and headed back to St. Louis. We became St. Louis residents again, the whole Houston thing. You know, I moved down to Houston, and this had been a classic rock station. been on the air like 20 years. I get down there, and only about three or four months after I started, I began hearing rumors. And the rumors were that that company that owned the station in Texas, they own a bunch of stations in St. Louis, too. And, and they're just no good at classic rock or rock-based formats. They're into, like, you know, Ariana Grande and Lady Gaga, all that hip-hop stuff and everything. That's the kind of company they are. And so they're sort of predisposed to not really liking rock or classic rock. And sure enough, station had been on the air 20 years. I get down there about four months after I get down there. I start hearing rumors that they are going to change the format. And I went right to them. I said, look, I moved down here. I bought a house. I moved my family. Are you changing this format? And they said, no. Unfortunately, I knew they were lying because the evidence was irrefutable. I knew somebody who was building a new studio for another company in Houston. And the thing about it is all these engineers and IT guys for all the different radio stations, they have no station loyalty. And so they talk amongst one another. And if there's some, you know, breaking news that nobody's supposed to know about, the first people who know about it are the engineers and the IT guys. Because frankly, they have to know because it's going to be their job to get the damn thing on the air. So as soon as the managerial brass decides something big is going to happen, like a format change, for example, the first person they got to go to is the chief engineer because he or she is going to be the one that's going to have to put this whole thing together technically. So one of the engineers tells the other engineer that I know, yeah, the arrow, that was the station I was at, the arrow in Houston, they're, gonna, they're, they're flipping their format. So I never really believed them and it took a few more months, but I still remember we had just come back from St. Louis and I was taking the stuff out of the car and bringing it into the house. And the cell phone rang, and it was my boss, and he said, tomorrow at noon, we're flipping to hip-hop. And uh, unless I wanted to change my name to Jay-Z, wasn't really anything there for me. So we ended up having to sell the house. We hadn't even been in the house a year. Lost a bundle on the move. That's about the time I started to go broke. What do you think I'm still working for now? And we came back to St. Louis, and uh, the rest, whatever that is, is history. I've told this story before. I, I, I held on to the thing. I'll 
probably put it on Facebook one of these days. I came back to St. Louis and I thought to myself, well, maybe somebody will hire me to do something on radio. That became clearly apparent. It wasn't going to happen. And at the time, I didn't know why I wasn't getting hired anywhere. It didn't take me long to figure out there was, you know, there was collusion going on. There was a conspiracy to keep me off the air. You lost. I'm back on. Okay. Took 13 and a half years, but I'm back. But I just figured, okay, fine. You know, I've done radio my entire life, but I know how to do other things. And so I put together a decent resume and I got on LinkedIn and, you know, I started looking for a job outside of the broadcast industry. And I mean, I blanketed the region with resumes and there were marketing jobs, promotion jobs, leadership positions, and a lot of experience doing stuff like that. And sure enough, I ended up getting an email a couple of weeks later from one of the big hotel chains. And I'm thinking to myself, eh, it'd be a bad job. No heavy lifting. Put on a nice shirt and tie, a nice pair of slacks, you know, walking around the hotel every day, just making sure everybody's doing their job. Yeah, why not? I'll look into it. So I respond. I say, yes, I, I don't know what the position is. Can you fill me in? But yes, I might be interested in this. And a couple of days later, in fact, I did get a response. And they said that uh, with your qualifications and experience, we believe that you would be perfect for our in-room dining program and it took me a minute to realize that this was a <laughs> that this was a room service job not that there's anything wrong with it but not exactly what i had in mind it was at that point i decided i better get back on the radio so i took some really lousy radio jobs but hey got me to where i am right now so there podcast is doing great by the way people always ask me how many people listen and I say that is guarded information, but it's a lot. So that's why when I got back on radio on K-Wolf at 101.5 and 101.7, it was like, they're going to stop the podcast. I'm like, absolutely not. This podcast is golden. And so we proceed. 1997 on this day. The Who were coming in to, and I think we still called it Riverport back then. It was 1997. And they came in to do Quadrophenia. And I figured, well, they're probably not going to say yes, but you don't know unless you ask. And so I did ask, and they said yes. And so I found myself sitting in the penthouse suite at the Ritz-Carlton in Clayton interviewing Roger Daltrey. 33 years, approximately, the band's still performing, and people ask me, why? Why are these guys still performing? What would give them the desire, after 33 years, to still go out and do this? Now, I think I know the answer, but you tell me. Well, I want to know your answer. It might be more interesting. Well, my, <laughs> honest to God, my answer is that these guys are musicians. It's what they do. What do you want them to do? Open a McDonald's? No, that is one of the reasons. I mean, we are musicians. That's what we do. But it's not the only reason. And, and um, we're still pioneering. The Who were, were always a, a group that went out on a limb. We, you know, we, we came out with Tommy in 1969, and people raised their, their hands sometimes in delight, mostly in horror, because it was about a deaf, dumb, and blind kid, which in those days, you, know, you didn't talk about those kind of things. And um, here we are again in, in, in 1997, still pioneering. It's, it's, it's a very different show. We're trying to push the boundaries of rock and roll all the time and as long as we're doing that I feel it's a valid reason to be out there doing it. Supposedly there's kind of a St. Louis connection to the Who. Now if we have the story right, a guy by the name of Bob Heil here in the St. Louis area oh, yes, yes, yes. somewhat profoundly changed the way we all see and especially the way we hear 
concerts in terms of the overall sound system and the amount of wattage that you pull. Just just fill in the blanks for me on this story. We were the originators of the, the Marshall equipment. I mean, Marshall made the original Marshall 4 by 2 guitar amp uh, for The Who. So, you know, we came over here in the, in the 60s with that gear and that called on. We came to St. Louis and this guy, Bob Hyle, said, I can make better stuff than that. And he made high watt. And uh, it was better, actually. And pretty soon. But still, you see the people out there today with Marshall. But I mean, uh, you're all being fooled. <laughs> I was better. <laughs> I've read books that use the term madman to describe Keith Moon, who, of course, didn't make it, they didn't survive the experience. Has history been fair to Keith Moon? Um. Uh, I don't think I don't think history uh, really knows Keith Moon. I don't think most the general public actually know much about Keith Moon. Only the mad side of him. He was an incredibly complex character. I'm in the middle of the, at the moment of actually producing a film on his life, which I hope will get to grips with what Keith Moon was really all about. I mean, he was the funniest man I've ever met in my life. The funniest man. Funniest, and I mean. And you say complex, and do you know the reason for the complexity? God Almighty. If we knew that, he'd probably still be here today because we could have talked to him in a in, in a way that he would have liked to have been talked to. But I mean, he was he was everything in excess. He was the most generous, the most selfish, the, you know, the, the most lavish, the most mean, and he was the most fun, and he could also be the most horrid. But everything was enormously over the top. Um, he used to hang around with the Monty Python crowd. In fact, I'm sure they used to walk behind him, writing down Keith Moon's life and turning it into their shows because his life was like their shows. I, mean, really, really I guess somewhere you have to research and find out if Keith liked spam. <laughs> but I mean, I asked those guys, I said, tell me the truth. You know, have you ever, ever, because they're funny guys. I mean, John Cleese is a funny man. Have you ever, ever met anyone who made you laugh, laugh like Keith Moon did? And without doubt, the answer always comes back, no. Never in our lives have we met anyone who comes close. He was just extraordinary. But he had an incredible dark side. I mean, the other side of the coin was, was as black as the funny side. You know, in, in black terms, it was very dark. Another landmark event for The Who was the, the Cincinnati concert in 1980. Fans crushed to death trying to get into a concert using the old festival seating, which was over from that point forward. And I'm not sure that the average fan in the arenas that you play understands sometimes the distance between the band and the promoters. And that while it will always be remembered as the Cincinnati Who concert, that you guys probably would wish that somehow that that wouldn't have happened and that would all go away. Well, of course you wish it wouldn't have happened. I mean, we knew nothing about it at all until the end of the show. I mean, that's... I mean, from the front... It happened before the show started. It happened at 7.30 in the evening, and we weren't even in the hall. The band weren't even at the venue when it happened. But they didn't know what to do. It was a bad situation, which they felt at the time, because they had... You know, a, a large crowd inside. There'd be people suffering in 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 one of the doorways. They didn't open enough of the doorways to, for the crowd to get in. They made the decision that it was better to let the concert go on. I mean, and if let's be honest, if they'd have told us what had happened before we had arrived at the show, I don't know whether we could have gone on. So that might have turned a bad situation into a worse one.
It's very difficult, and, and of course, we, it's one of those things you live with all your life, and uh, if you could change it, you would, but uh, unfortunately, you can't. It's, that is part of life. Let's shift gears a little bit. The principal members, John, yourself, and Pete, you can't have guys having done this for as long as you have without distinct personalities emerging. Just talk a little bit about who's who in the who, if we want to start playing with <laughs> words bitchy, here. Isn't it? <laughs> who's, who's, like, who's the guy most likely, for example, to get a laugh from everybody? John. John is incredibly witty. Got a very, very dry sense of humor. Who's the guy that's the voice of reason in the band? Um, I don't know whether there is one. <laughs> <laughs> Last honest man in America. Why bother with stuff like that? Well, just talk a little bit about the individual personalities and how that manifests itself for the band. Pete, is, again, is, is, a, is a great bunch of fellas. Um, and uh, he's... One of, he is a genius, and living with that genius, you know, it's, it's like tiptoeing through a, 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 a minefield with giant boots on <laughs> when, you're, when you're dealing with Pete. I mean, that's how he is, you know, you, just don't, you never know which one you're going to get. So, uh, and what I'm like, I mean, I, I try and be the, the guy who kind of grounds it, keeps it with, with at least some kind of anchor to, to terra firma. I'm told that you're a half-decent farmer. Is that true? I'm a very good farmer. Half-decent, yeah. Tell me about that. I've done, I've done, I've, well, in, in the 70s when it all, when it, I mean, we were, we were like 25 years old and, and uh, the whole world was at our feet. I mean, you can't, you can't imagine what it would be like. We'd, you know, we had hit record. Everywhere we went in the world, it was like people going crazy for you. The, the money was beyond your wildest dreams. We didn't, I mean, we didn't realise what you know what we were earning we were just, we just spent i mean as fast as we got it we spent it it all disappeared you know but it was an insane lifestyle and i suddenly realized that you know that i was could very easily go completely out of control and i i moved to the country and started farming and, and i met people that were exactly the opposite to showbiz people country people were really they've got something i i wish i i had it i haven't got it I need to be out there. I can do it for a while, but then I have to get out there back in the firing line, back to be sniped at. You know, there's something about living on the edge that I still need. These people don't need it. They just go through their life and they live with the seasons and it's, and I really admire that. And that gave me a balance. It was just really like yin and yang. You know? So ever think about how your life would have turned out and how everything for you would have been different had the band not come along and I guess what when they found you you were a sheet metal worker or something they didn't find me I found them yeah. that's my band yeah I used to make the guitars I mean listen there's no way this wasn't going to happen <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me tell you <laughs> when you worked in a factory for five years you, you know and you, you play any kind of music and you're halfway decent and then you, you, you end up with someone like Townsend and you think how about this guy's writing some good stuff here there's no way I was not going to let it work and make it work you know? 
Have a great time here in St. Louis. Roger Daltrey, a pleasure to talk to you. And you. That was all the way back in 1997 when the Who were playing Riverport. It's been a long time, not only since I've played that, but since I've heard it. And I'm really glad I decided to pull it out and run it today. That is fascinating. That's Roger fucking Daltrey right there you were just listening to. And that I was sitting three feet away from. Don't think for a minute that stuff like that just rolls off my back. When I'm sitting there in the presence of somebody like that, I'm probably using more of my brain than I should be trying to get a mental snapshot of the experience. So in other words, I'm there to do a job, ask good questions, make sure that you know the shot is set up the right way, make sure that the interview has some flow to it, make sure that uh, he's staying interested in the questions I'm asking. Sometimes you have to call an audible. You go in there with a list of questions and you can see you're just losing the guy and you just have to you know, extemporize. you got to change course. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So there's a lot to be thinking about. But the other thing I'm trying to do is remember the experience. What was he wearing? What did the room look like? What did Was, was there a particular smell was there anything interesting about the way he conducted himself his wife was sitting close by what did their relationship look like you try to soak all of this in and try to remember it because trust me when you reach a certain age and you start sort of reminiscing about this stuff or when somebody asks you a question about it in an interview or if you're just sort of talking about it like i am here you know part of my job is to paint a mental picture i got to do this stuff you guys didn't I wish I could take all of you along, how exciting it would be for you guys to see how exciting it really is. And I've had that privilege for so many years, and with the exception of like Tom Cruise and Daniel Day-Lewis, sometimes I feel like I've interviewed everybody, which is a big fancy-ass way of saying I feel a lot of responsibility when I do stuff like this. I'm your eyes, I'm your ears, and I'm trying to do the best job I can. Our prayers have been answered. Sophia Vergara's marriage is is breaking up. Oh, you know, I feel bad that the marriage broke up, but I'm lying. I'm not. I got to take a look at this woman because I haven't seen her yet. But there's a uh, Jeopardy winner by the name of Angie Nyquist. Angie Nyquist. And she's been on Jeopardy and doing very well. And apparently she is red hot, perhaps white hot. People on the internet are saying this is the most beautiful woman that has ever even competed on Jeopardy. My God, men are already sending her messages asking her if she's on OnlyFans. (laughs) You're pretty. You're smart. Can I see you naked? She said, it's not my style, but it was flattering. Ariana Grande and her husband are separated. Remember when she was, everybody thought she was going to marry Pete Davidson? Reruns of Yellowstone. They're going to air on CBS this fall some guy was arrested for making death threats against lana del rey bad idea have you seen her lately this is not a petite woman if she smacked you she'd knock you into the middle of the next week dumb idea birthdays today priyanka chopra is 41 i've told this story before back in the 90s for a while there was an assistant news director at channel 4 where i was working at the time by the name of tom bell he was from detroit and they knew he had a couple of kids and that was about it he ended up leaving after a couple of years he went back to michigan running some stations there turns out his daughter was Kristen bell as in forgetting sarah marshall and like every movie that's being made now she's 43 today vin diesel 56 richard branson we had him on the air a couple of years back he's 73 another billionaire steve forbes 76 martha reeves 
minus the Vandellas. She's 82 today. And James Brolin, Mr. Barbara Streisand, is 83. And one of the good guys in the business. I worked with him at Channel 5 for a long time. He was doing sports then. Then they put him in news on the morning show. And then they put him in charge of the entire place. He's the news director at Channel 5. Art Holiday, my pal, is 69 today. Whitney Houston married Bobby Brown on this date in 92. How'd that turn out? And I've been accused of doctoring this, editing it, doing something to its original form. And I promise you, this is what happened. So it was 54 years ago today, 1969. Teddy Kennedy is driving along with some Dolly, Mary Jo Kopechny. They're probably not supposed to be together. And he's driving off this bridge and then literally drove off the bridge at Chappaquiddick, which is by Martha's Vineyard. So he swims to safety. He leaves her in the car. Then he goes somewhere else. And then it occurs to him, maybe I should report this to the police. He made it. She didn't. He got a year's probation. But anyhow, the reason I bring this up, Teddy Kennedy, this soundbite, this was during the home run chase, 1998. And apparently somebody went to him, some political operative, and said, hey, Teddy, when you're uh, out on the Senate floor today making speeches, it might make you seem relevant because the entire world is talking about this home run chase here in 1998, and maybe you should bring it up. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I know I'm a big baseball fan, so I'll, I'll definitely I'll bring it up. So he walks out onto the Senate floor, and as I said, I never touched this. This is what the man said. It is a special pleasure for me to introduce our two home run kings for working families in America, Mike McGuire and Sammy Suser. <laughs> Answering the question back then, were senators still having three martini lunches? And with that, the J.C. Corcoran podcast for Tuesday, July 18th, 2023 is in the can. We're here every weekday morning, Monday through Thursday, absolutely free at 11 o'clock. Don't forget, we're on the air every morning, 5.30 till 10 on KWOLF, 101.5 St. Louis, 101.7 West and Beyond, and stream at kwolf.com. We do rock and Americana. You can email me, jc at jconthelion.com. Facebook, the showgram with J.C. Corcoran. Have a great day, and again, Watch out. When we're talking early tomorrow morning, we could be really looking at some aftermath of some pretty dramatic weather if these forecasts are even close to being true. Waves of the stuff coming through throughout the course of the day, and then especially overnight tonight, after midnight, some very, very evil-looking stuff is going to be passing through the area, so be on your toes. After all, that's how everybody sleeps on their toast. All right, that's it. We got to go. In the meantime, we've beaten this one to death. Have a good one. See you later. Bye. Mike McGuire and Sammy Suser. The J.C. Corcoran Podcast.